Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 23 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 29th, right around the corner. It's next month. Hard to believe that it's already just right around the corner. But here we are, the franchise tag. That's really kind of what has opened the door into free agency. Who's been tagged? Who's headed to free agency? We're going to get into that conversation. And then obviously we're going to be taking a look at the top running backs. Two podcasts ago, we actually looked at the quarterbacks, broke them down. Who are my in my top 10? Who else do I think is going to be coming off the board at the quarterback position? We're going to be doing the same thing with the running backs. But honestly, really first things first, before we can even get into the franchise tags, we have to talk about Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson. And you know, really, the the biggest thing, more than anything else, when you when you look at this, is uh, you know, Dak Prescott. You knew something had to happen. You know, something was going was bound to happen here. Jerry Jones finally signing his guy, four years, one hundred and sixty million dollars. I believe the the seventy five million is what Dak Prescott will be pocketing in his first year. Way to go, Dak. Um, I, I believe that's 126 million guaranteed, if I remember off the top of my head. Uh, just ridiculous contract. I, I, I'm looking at the Cowboys and I'm wondering exactly how all of this money ends up playing out with all the money that they have tied up you know, with Ezekiel Elliott, Amari Cooper, uh, you know Tyron Smith when they signed him to, to Jalen Smith. That there's a lot of money out there for for the Cowboys, and, and obviously they needed to get Dak signed. Uh, and so that deal did get done. Uh, since they can't sign it, I think he actually had to be franchise tagged. But um, just absolutely ridiculous money there at that quarterback position. Um, but again, a deal is done. Dak will be in Dallas for the foreseeable future. The question now it remains, what's going to happen with Deshaun Watson? Now we had in our last episode, from a fan's perspective, interviewed Brett Peters, a, a big Houston Texans fan, asked him what was going to happen with, with Deshaun Watson. It sounds like you know the, the, the impression is, is, even though they've kind of burned some bridges there, it sounds like Deshaun Watson's likely going to be playing in Houston in 2021. Uh, but what was interesting, though, was, was David Culley, you know, he goes on to the Jim Trotter and Steve Weish podcast, the NFL Huddle and Flow uh, which is a great name, by the way. And, uh, you know, he said that, hey, look, we need somebody who's going to be all in with this franchise. And it made it really sound like, you know, Deshaun Watson might be on, on his way out. But by the time he has a press conference, they ask him about Deshaun Watson's status. And he says, look, we're we're all in on him. We're committed to, to, to Deshaun Watson. He's a, a Houston Texan. He's the only quarterback right now under contract. Um, so kind of changed his tune a little bit. So really, I, I don't know what's happening. We kind of called it a dumpster fire that, that's going on in Houston. Uh, when I talked to Brett Peters, the, the Houston Texans diehard fan, um, you know, and really we don't know exactly what's going to happen there. And, you know, we talked about the fact that it's difficult to really bring free agents into Houston right now, you know, just because of everything that's going on, how the, the Deshaun Watson situation was handled. You know, he wasn't allowed to be a part of the conversations, much like a lot of other quarterbacks uh, of his stature have been allowed to do. And, um, you know, but at the same time, here's Mark Ingram running back, you know, decides that he's going to go ahead and sign with, with the Texans signed a one year deal. So he'll be there in Houston. Um, but, you know, really again, 
odd situation there with the Texans. They don't have a first or second round pick either. And so Brett and I talked about that, uh, about where what direction they would go. And uh, ultimately thinking that defense, a lot of times, you know, a lot of games, they, they lost down the stretch and they need to address the defense. And uh, I've got them taking J2 Fele in round number three. I think they go defensive end. I think they need an outside linebacker to help with Whitney Merciless. I need, you know, they need a corner as well. Um, you know, I thought maybe they go running back in round four to, to pair with David Johnson, but with Mark Ingram going there, that's your insurance policy in case David Johnson gets bin, uh, banged up again. Um, so now they can potentially focus on that receiver position in the event Will Fuller decides that he's going to move on and, and go elsewhere, especially if you have Deshaun Watson staying in Houston. If there is a chance that that does happen, then, then you know, obviously receivers, before they decide that they want to go there, they want to make sure that they've got their quarterback locked up, at least for the foreseeable future. So stay tuned on Houston. You know, I think even though they don't have a whole lot of picks here with the draft right now, it's still going to be you know really fun conversation there. Uh, so now we transition into the, the the franchise tag, and the first team that I'm going to be talking about are, are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in our next podcast, the next edition of the newest segment, um, you know, from a fan's perspective, I'm actually going to be talking to Steve Jackson, who is a huge Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan. Uh, congratulations to him and all the Buccaneer fans on getting back to the Super Bowl. Not only doing that, but being able to to bring that Super Bowl home uh, to Tampa. And we're going to take a look at uh, Tampa's draft needs and uh, you know what they're going to be doing in the draft. And really, you know, you had Chris Godwin out there as a as a free agent. You had Levante David, uh, the heart and soul of the defense, Shaq Barrett as well. And so they franchise tag Chris Godwin. And look, Chris Godwin in 2019, over 1,300 yards receiving, nine touchdowns. Pro Football Focus noted this year, 74% reception rate, which was third highest in the NFL. Um, you know, Godwin had to be brought back. And they made him a priority um, with the franchise tag. They bring back Levante David for another two years. I thought that was a great move. Heart and soul, like I said, of that defense. And then Shaq Barrett, it sounds like they're going to sign a a long-term deal. You saw his importance throughout the season, but... I mean, make no mistake, the, the playoffs, that's really where you know he's earning his money. He and JPP were a force, and we're really giving Patrick Mahomes uh, a lot of problems. We're going to talk about the Chiefs' offensive line here in a little bit uh, you know, and what's going to happen there uh, as we get through these the, the franchise tags. But uh, Chris Godwin, great pick there. I'm sure Tom Brady is going to be happy about that. Uh, the Jets signing Marcus May, the safety. Look, this guy, he's the... The leader of that defense really emerged when, when Jamal Adams w- was sent away. Um, you know, the NFL Next Gen Stats, you know, ESPN reported that they noted that he's the second uh, second among safeties with the 66.9 passer rating. Um, you know, two interceptions, 11 total passes defense. Um, you know, this is a guy they had to bring back for the back end of that defense. Panthers, look, we know Russell Okung, the left tackle, likely not coming back. They still have that hole there at that left tackle position. Going to be interesting to see what direction Matt Rule goes. But you had to bring back Taylor Moten, really a, a, you know, a strong work ethic, a guy that's really a workmanlike approach, takes that to the right tackle spot. You know, He's going to earn $13.6 million here in the 2021 season. Uh, the Bears, 
This was a, was kind of surprising to me. I thought that maybe they would let Allen Robinson walk into free agency after his 102 receptions for 100 uh, for 1,250 yards this past season in Chicago. He's going to make 18 million dollars this year, and uh, you know we'll see if maybe they can get a, a long-term deal done. You know, again, who's going to be the long-term answer there at quarterback? Chicago's looking for a bunch of different options. ESPN, you know, reporting rumors and, and Bleacher Report as well about potentially. You know, a, a ton of picks being offered uh, to Seattle to try to lure Russell Wilson away. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But you know, the Bears, the fact that they've got Allen Robinson there, they can address other positions. I would anticipate that number 20 overall is going to be used on an offensive tackle. I think that, you know, now that they've brought Allen Robinson back, they can ultimately look at uh, releasing uh, Charles Leno in a, in a cost-saving measure there. The, the guy, he, he's, he's really manned that left tackle position for the better part of a decade uh, in Chicago. But I think that's ultimately what ends up happening is, is that Charles Leno will end up in another uniform when it's all said and done. Uh, you look at Jacksonville, uh, the Jaguars, you know, you've got a brand-new quarterback that's coming in and Trevor Lawrence, who's you know obviously going to be the first, uh, first overall pick. Um, do you opt to draft a left tackle at some point or do you bring back your existing left tackle cam robinson well he got the franchise tag and pro football focus noted that in 2019 82 percent win rate on the outside there you know one year removed you know from the from that torn acl in 2018 um you know you got to bring your 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 left tackle back at least for one year um i I think they'll still end up going with the left tackle you know at some point in the draft um, you know, and look, Cam Robinson, he's only making 14.5 million. So it's not like it's, it's breaking the bank either. Um, so I think that makes some sense there for the Jags, uh, Washington football team. Look, you got to bring Brandon Sheriff back. This guy, you know, pay him the money that he deserves. You know, he's one of the top guards, if not the top guard in, uh, in the league. Uh, you know, I, I believe for all pros now, you know, just pay, pay the guy, but, uh, they at least got him the, the franchise tag. He'll be in Washington. Uh, this upcoming season. The Broncos, they, they went ahead and, and uh, franchised Justin Simmons, the safety. This is a guy they needed to bring back. There was going to be a huge hole in the secondary had they not um, franchise tag Justin Simmons. It'll be interesting to see if they do end up getting a long-term deal done. Giants, I think they will get a long-term deal done with Leonard Williams. I mean, come on, 11 and a half sacks, uh, over you know 30 quarterback hits, 41 uh, pressures, in his first year there with the Giants. Uh, You know, those numbers brought to you by Pro Football Focus. Uh, Look, you know, Leonard Williams, he got it, you know, really, you know, has has come into his own there with the Giants. Uh, You know, never really lived up to the billing as as a top 10 pick. Uh, You know, he did have seven sacks in his second year there with the Jets, but really kind of resurrected his career. And now uh, he's a guy to really watch out for there in the NFC East. Saints, Get Marcus Williams back. The ball hawk look 14 interceptions in the last four years. You bring your safety back there to pair with with Malcolm Jenkins again. You know, if anything, you target an eventual replacement for Malcolm Jenkins at some point in the draft this year. So I mentioned, you know, outside of the the franchise tags that we we had a a signing of Mark Ingram to, to the Texans, a one year deal, uh Levante David being re-signed. But Matt Milano, this was huge. I thought Matt Malona was going to test the free agent market, see if he can make some money out there. He was going to command top top dollar as one of the best young linebackers in the league. And instead, he signs a four-year, $44 million deal to stay with the Buffalo Bills. You know, so he gets to play alongside Tremaine Edmonds. And really, I think this might actually be the best decision for him 
getting to play with, with Sean McDermott. You can tell that he's building something there. Clearly something's working in Buffalo, and Matt Milano definitely wants to be a part of that. Um, so now that means the Bills not looking for a linebacker. I've got them taking Tevin Jenkins at number 30 overall. Look, Tevin Jenkins may end up coming off the board even higher than that. I think you could potentially see a running back come off the board there at number 30 to the Bills as well. Um, But, you know, I'm still sticking with Tevin Jenkins for now. Um, And then I mentioned KC. Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz both let go. Um, So I I think they're looking to get younger at at the tackle position. Um, look, neither of those guys played in, in the Super Bowl due to injury. Um, you know, Mitchell Swartz, look, man, you know, this guy had, uh, I think Pro Football Focus reported that you know, 7,894 consecutive snaps played, uh, you know, had that streak, uh, streak uh, snapped, missed the last three months of the season following back surgery. He's on to a new pro, a new franchise, as is Eric Fisher, the number one overall pick of the Chiefs in the 2013 draft. He tore his Achilles tendon in the AFC Championship game. And look, I know um, what that injury is like. I uh, tore my own Achilles at, uh, you know, in December of 2018. And uh, it's not, not a, a fun injury to try to come back from. Um, so I know that, that there are some concerns just up front with the Chiefs offensive line in general without those two guys. But look, you know, when you needed him down the stretch, you needed to protect Patrick Mahomes. These guys weren't there. And now that they're they're getting older, you know, that, that's really going to start being a, a concern is, is how durable are they going to be? Chiefs let them go. That also, you know, it's a it's a you know, cost savings measure as well because you're looking at nearly $20 million in salary that the Chiefs are saving by letting the two of them go. So it's really interesting, you know, with Kansas City, I think they're going to end up going with a tackle in round two. I'm looking, I and Dylan Radins out of, out of North Dakota State, he may come off the board earlier. I think KC may end up looking to trade up to land their offensive tackle. They could sit there at at 63, potentially get Liam Eichenberg. I think Eichenberg may end up coming coming off the board earlier as well. Do they roll the dice, you know, and, and just wait to see which tackle is available, or do they try to trade up and get one of those guys, which I think is going to be that you know part of that next tier of offensive linemen. Um, you know, I think that's really something to keep an eye on there for the Chiefs. Got to protect Patrick Mahomes. We saw that in the Super Bowl. What happens uh, when when guys like uh, Shaq Barrett and JPP get the tee off on the quarterback. So what does that mean you know, when it comes to, to the draft and free agency? Well, here's a, here's a list of guys that are going to be out there that weren't franchised. Uh, you know, Jameis Winston at quarterback. I think he's going to end up coming back to the Saints. I think, you know, if Drew Brees is retiring, it sounds like he might be, although he's doing some crazy workouts, you know, looking like he may end up coming back. Um, you know, I think they need at least a stopgap for, for a year, get Jameis, you know, and, and uh, see what happens there. If he can cut down on the interceptions, he may have something. Uh, you know, Aaron Jones, Green Bay did not bring him back. And look, you know, I think Pack, the Packers had a, a plan they, they always have a plan. They're planning for the future. You see that with Jordan Love. They were planning for the future when they when they drafted A.J. Dillon in the second round. And uh, so I think, you know, they're going to probably roll with, with Jamal Williams and A.J. Dillon. And, uh, you know, Aaron Jones, look, you know, the Miami Dolphins, the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, Arizona Cardinals, they all need, you know, running backs. 
And so I could see Aaron Jones going to one of those teams, which, yeah, that absolutely is going to affect the draft overall. Miami sitting there at 18, they don't have to worry about taking Najee Harris at that point. They can end up going linebacker, which is a definite need for them. Uh, and then I think, you know, the Jets, if they ended up going after Aaron Jones and they land him, they ob- obviously could use uh, that 23 overall pick either on, on an edge rusher, a defensive end, or on a receiver. And uh, same thing with the, with the Steelers. Sitting there at 24, right now I've got them taking Najee Harris. You know, if they end up going Aaron Jones, they get that running back in there, then look, they could go in a number of other directions. They've got, you know, question marks all along the offensive line. Uh, You know, edge rusher Bud Dupree, is he coming back? You know, it it gives them some more options if they do end up signing that running back. Uh, At the receiver position, look, Kenny Galladay was not franchised by Detroit. He's entering free agency. I think that's, you know, all signs to me are pointing for the Lions taking uh, Jamar Chase at number seven overall. Corey Davis, Tennessee, he's gone. I think he's going to garner a lot of consideration. There are teams out there that need wideouts. Um, you know, I think the Jets are going to be keeping an eye on him. I think Miami will keep an eye on him as well. Um, a lot of these teams that we're talking about that need receivers, Corey Davis will be on the radar. Hey, look, you know, Arizona, they already have. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, you pair him with Corey Davis, you know, that'd really be interesting as well. Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, I think he's destined to go to the Jets. That makes a ton of sense. You know, potentially reunite him with, with Sam Darnold if he stays there in, in New York. And then Will Fuller, you know, the speedster on the outside, you know, not going to, uh, not coming back to Houston. You know, all signs um, are, are saying that. Tight end position is going to be interesting. I don't think it's a huge draft outside of, uh, of Kyle Pitts and a couple of others. Um, you know, it's really a, a, a top-heavy draft in terms of the tight end position. You know, you've got Kyle Pitts, you've got Patrick, uh, Pat Fryermuth, um, you know, Brevin Jordan, Hunter Long, um, and uh, you know, possibly Tommy Tremble might throw him in there. And then after that, you know, a lot of guys that are going to be mid to late round picks. So Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, uh, Kyle Rudolph was let go by the Vikings. Those are going to be guys that you know teams um, will start targeting. Um, you know, and I think you know you get a guy like Hunter Henry. Uh, you know, if he can stay healthy, he and Jonu Smith are two guys that you really want to keep an eye on. Offensive line, Trent Williams. Where does he go? Does he go back to the Niners? Um, does he go to Washington? Does he go, you know, where, where does Trent Williams end up? That's going to be interesting. Joe Thune, um, New England let him walk. Um, he's going to garner, you know, some, some consideration there for one of the highest paid guards. Uh, Corey Lindsley, um, you know, the Packers are going to be looking for, for a center uh, with Lindsley moving on as well. Um, edge rushers, I already mentioned Bud Dupree, Shaq Barrett. Looks like he's going back to, to Tampa, which then means Yannick Ngakwe, uh, Trey Hendrickson, He's going to garner, you know, some consideration there for uh, a, a high contract. Carl Lawson's going to be that next tier edge rusher, but somebody who I think, you know, could end up being a really nice value for a team and a guy that's going to end up giving you a ton of effort out there. Uh, defensive tackle, you got Sheldon Rankins, linebacker, uh, you know, Quan Alexander, corner, Janoris Jenkins. Man, you know, I see a theme there. Those are all Saints. Saints letting a lot of those guys go. I think you're going to see them take potentially a linebacker in round number one. You'll probably see them take a, a corner or a defensive tackle in round two, um, you know, and then vice versa there in, in round number three. Uh, Shaq Griffin there in, in Seattle. He wasn't franchise tag. Neither he nor Chris Carson, the running back. Uh, so I think 
you're going to definitely see Seattle targeting the corner at some point. They don't have a first-round pick. I think that second-round pick needs to be used on an offensive lineman. So I think you're looking at a, a third-round corner. Um, I think they'll hit the cornerback free agent market heavy. But I think you know getting a third-round corner, they're lucky that there's a a, um, you know, a really strong cornerback class in this draft. You can get a guy that could be a starter there in round number three. And then at safety, the Rams uh, rolling the dice at safety. John Johnson the third. He's leaving. Uh, more than likely, I don't see him coming back. Um, you know, the Raiders could potentially tar- uh, target either him or Anthony Harris, who's not going to be with the Vikings. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out from a free agency standpoint. So the whole complexion of the draft uh, is going to change as these guys get signed. So a lot of the forecasting right now, looking at things, saying, well, this guy, you know, the, the team really needs a, a safety until they sign John Johnson, okay, well now, you know, you're no longer targeting that safety in in the first two days of the draft. So it's going to be interesting to see how everything plays out for sure. So you know, that's really you, you wait for free agency, you wait to really see what happens, and uh, you know, now that we're in in the fold, if you will, you know, I, I think you're going to really be seeing you know draft boards change as as things go with um, with free agency. So now we're going to pivot to the running back position and we're going to talk about my top 10 and other guys to watch out for. And I think really with that running back spot, look, over the last five years, 23 running backs have been drafted and uh, last season, only 16 running backs. You, know, you, you remember, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was the only running back taken, number 32 overall. Uh, you know, DeAndre Swift uh, going to the Lions. Jonathan Taylor looks like a steal. He and Cam Akers in round two. J.K. Dobbins as well. Uh, A.J. Dillon, I, I, I think... Is going to be nice there with the Packers. Zach Moss having a decent year there with the Bills. I think Darrington Evans is going to get more playing time with the Titans. Joshua Kelly uh, did well in stints there for the Chargers. Keyshawn Vaughn could potentially you know play a role there with the Bucks. I'll be talking about that with Steve Jackson. Um, you know what happens with Leonard Fournette and Shady McCoy. You know you got Keyshawn Vaughn. Is that going to be enough to uh, have them pivot and, and go elsewhere? Um, look. You know, 23 running backs is kind of the average. I'm looking at this year's draft. You know, I, I could see as many as 20, 26, 27 backs taken um, in this draft, which would be the most since 2017 when 30 running backs came off the board. It's really going to be interesting to see how everything plays out. Um, you know, we haven't had multiple running backs come off the board since 2018 when we had three. If you recall, that's the year that Saquon Barkley, Rashad Penny, and Sony Michelle all came off the board. Penny and Michelle were more of a surprise at the end of round number one. I honestly believe that the only one that's going to be taken in round one is Najee Harris this year. Um, I think that makes the most sense to me. Round two is where it's going to get interesting. Um, you know, I think Travis Etienne, J- Javante Williams likely coming off the board there. Michael Carter's kind of, you know, is he going to be a round two guy? Does he fall to day three or to round number three? Um, and then we'll, you know, as we go through this, as we talk about the running back position, we'll get into more of those conversations about who might be coming off the board um, in, on day two and who's going to fall to day three and some of those steals later on in the draft. So now Najee Harris is my number one running back, as I mentioned. I mean, I think that's kind of a given, right? Um, you know, the one worry that you have is this guy over the last two years, um, 460 carries. Um, but look, you know, he, he averaged, you know, about six yards a carry during that time, uh, 39 touchdowns, 
Also, 70 receptions with 11 receiving touchdowns as well. Look, this dude's a beast. I mean, 1,466 yards this past year with 26 touchdowns, also 43 receptions. Uh, this is a guy who has has the speed on the outside that that you know you're you're looking for. Is he going to run away from everybody? Probably not. But he has better than average speed for a guy who's 6'2 and 230 pounds. Uh, quick feet with jump cut ability, which is is a little surprising when you watch him. Um, you know, when you a guy that size shouldn't be able to move laterally as well as he does. Very patient, does a good job following his blockers, um, sets up his blocks really well. Uh, this is a guy who, obviously, because of his size, you know, he runs with with excellent power, lowers lowers that pad level, and uh, you know has some decent balance coming through the hole, runs through arm tackles to pick up the extra yards, and you know, look that game against Notre Dame where he hurdles Nick McLeod. We know the type of athlete he is, and uh, you know, to show that type of explosiveness to jump over a six foot corner like like Nick McLeod, uh, that just tells you the type of player that this guy is. And then out of the backfield, whether it's on a wheel route, an angle route, it doesn't really matter. This is a hands catcher, a guy who can adjust to the football in the air, and uh, you know, he's made some one handed catches as well. Soft hands out of the backfield, and then the pass protection. You, know, you watch what he can do in pass protection, coming across the formation to pick up blitzes. You know, a linebacker shooting the A-gap. He steps up, allowing Mac Jones to uh, you know, buy some time and, and complete the passes down the field. Um, you know, patient runner, vision, cutback ability uh, to go along with the speed and the power and the athleticism. The, the hands out of the backfield, his ability to block. He's a three-down running back. To me, I look at Josh Jacobs and the impact that he was able to make there with the Raiders coming off the board in round number one. Um, you know, he was 24 overall. Look, I think he's going to go 24 overall to the Steelers. I really do. Um, that, to me, just makes makes a ton of sense uh, when, when things were all said and done. My number two running back is Travis Etienne. Uh, he's 5'10", 205. Um, you know, he actually bulked up for his, his combine or, you know, really, I guess it's his pro day. Ran a 4 4 um, So he's got some speed to him. Definitely has some juice. He's a guy that I think when he came to Clemson was known as, as really the guy with the afterburners. The guy that could run, but he would go down to first contact. And he really worked hard in the weight room and, and worked on that lower half to be able to, to run through contact. Really now shows that balance, you know, the, the contact balance. Uh, doesn't go down to that first contact anymore. And look, come on. You know, nearly 5,000 yards on the ground, 70 touchdowns. I mean, think about that. You know, double-digit touchdowns every single year there at Clemson, 24 touchdowns in 2018, 19 in 2019, 20 this past season. I mean, it's ridiculous. 102 receptions as well. So he's a really good, uh, has really good hands out of the backfield. Um, You know, this is a guy, look, he, he has that explosive speed. He'll set you up in the open field. Um, you know, he, he does a really good job. You know, he'll run through the through the tackles. But what he does does have is, you know, the footwork is a little little off. When you get him in the hole, you know, he's not going to necessarily make you miss. That's why he has to run through a lot of arm tackles. Um, you know, at one point, you know, when you look at him, they, they talked about him at, at the beginning of the year. You know, five point yard, five. You know, let's see, five point one yards after contact on his total of 7.8 yards per carry. So really, you know, you're looking at 2.7 yards per carry and then, you know, 5.1 after the initial initial uh, initial hit. So, you know, a guy who I, I think 
you get him in the open field, you allow him in space to make plays, but if you get him in, in, in tight quarters and allow him, ask him to make those lateral cuts or use some of that footwork uh, in, in between the tackles, that's where you're, I think he's going to struggle. I think he also kind of throws his weight around a little bit um, or just kind of throws his body at, uh, at defenders in pass protection. Um, you know, there was a play against Pittsburgh um, where Phil Campbell, the linebacker, was blitzing off the edge, didn't square up, just kind of got in the way, and Campbell got off, uh, just ran right by him, got in on the sack uh, with Patrick Jones the second. Um, you know, and there was another play where he he kind of threw his shoulder into a linebacker earlier in the year. Ultimately, picked up the the block, and uh, it was against Wake Forest. Picked up the linebacker, but you know, look, he's throwing his shoulder in. He's not really squaring the guy up, and you know, so I think he still has some work to, to do as a as a, uh, a pass blocker. But I'm looking at him still in the top half of round number two. I think you're looking at some teams. Look, the Falcons need need help at the running back position. Todd Gurley is not going to be their answer long term. Um, you know, I mentioned the Jets. I mentioned uh, Miami potentially. Um, and, and again, you know, Carolina I'm, uh, might need a, a back to spell you know, uh, Christian McCaffrey coming back from injury. Um, Arizona is also going to need a, a running back. You know, they, they've got Kenyon Drake, uh, who's a free agent. What's going to happen there? Even if he does come back, Chase Edmonds is a nice complimentary back, but you need somebody who can kind of shoulder the load a little bit. And uh, Travis Etienne can be that three down back because of his hands out of the backfield. You know, I think he comes off the board sometime in round two. Javante Williams, 5'10", 220 pounds, UNC. Look, the junior, he and Michael Carter, I kind of have to talk about them uh, in tandem here a little bit when we talk about that Miami game. Holy cow. My, Michael Carter, he's 5'8", 199. And, uh, you know, talk about both of them real quick in that Miami game. They combined for over 500 yards and six touchdowns against the Hurricanes. It was absolutely ridiculous, the, the show that they put on, um, the, the thunder and lightning, if you will. Um, you, know, it, you know, Michael Carter, obviously, the, the lightning to, to Javante Williams is thunder. But uh, now back to just Javante Williams. Look, you know, he had over 900 yards as a sophomore in 2019, comes in as a, as a junior, over 1,100 yards, averaged 7.3 yards per carry, 19 touchdowns, so that nose for the end zone, uh, has 50 receptions in his three years there with the Tar Heels, scored four touchdowns as well. Uh, this is a guy, you know, he has a powerful lower half, you know, keeps that leg drive, powering for extra yards, um, does a really good job putting his foot in the ground and, uh, and, and getting north and south. Um, so he's patient, waits for those blockers, and then shoots through the hole. Can make guys miss in the open field. He'll shake defenders, run through tackles. Um, but then he also has some speed to the edge. You know, it was really interesting, you know, running into the boundary. The Carolina, or the North Carolina loved to run into the boundary a lot of times. And this is a guy who was showing speed to get to the edge and down the sideline, you know, in those tight quarters. Um, you'll hear me talk a lot about, you know, contact balance. And a lot of these running backs have just that. You know, I watched that NC State game where he showed that contact balance, running through a couple of arm tackles to then give it, get it and bounce things outside. Um, but that Miami game, let's go back to that real quick. Again, that, you know, over 200 yards in that game, uh, 236 to be exact, and three touchdowns. You know, not only was he running the ball, but he was also unselfish as a lead blocker for Michael Carter. Um, you know, and, and it was one of those things. He gets, takes a play off tackle. Uh, you know, the left guard was able to come across the formation and take on uh, Jalen Phillips, 
take him upfield, got under a block, springs down the field, and then shows the speed, you know, 65 yards, ultimately got caught by DJ Ivy. Um, but this is a guy, you know, he was making Jalen Phillips miss left and right in that game. Um, you know, avoiding him, got hit for a loss by, by Phillips, able to still end up getting positive yards on that play. Um, you know, this was a guy, look, pressing the line of scrimmage, bouncing it outside, gets by the defender at the second level, stuttering a lateral lateral cut to avoid the de- defensive back on a 15-yard gain. I mean, he just, just churning yards. And it wasn't always explosive plays necessarily. Um, you know, it was just, he just kept wearing def- the defense down. Um, but there was one play where he, he takes the handoff, avoids two, two in the backfield at his own 40, gets outside the guard block to the perimeter, battles through a, a defensive back, then runs through Amari Carter, the safety, spins out of a Bradley Jennings tackle. He's a linebacker, gets chopped down inside the 20 yard line, but the, the contact balance running through uh, tackles, spinning off guys, keeping that balance, 33 yards total. And so he has a burst. Is he a guy that's going to uh, you know, be a threat, a home run threat? Maybe not at the next level, but a guy who I think still is going to be able to wear down defenses has that, you know, he does have a burst and then he's going to lower his pads and, and run you over to finish his runs, be a punishing running back. And he can catch the football out of the backfield. I like him day two. I've got him going to care to uh, Arizona in round number two, Michael Carter, another interesting guy. Uh, over 3,400 yards in his career, including back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons at 1,245 this past season, uh, 22 total touchdowns. Look, you know, this past season, he averaged 8 yards per carry. Ridiculous. 82 receptions as well. Really, really good hands. This was a guy who just seemed to bounce off the tackles. If you watched him in that senior bowl, guys couldn't bring him down. He was bouncing off the guys. Looked like a pinball out there. Uh, you know, a guy who, you know, it makes you miss um, at the line of scrimmage. That was one of the things against Miami. You know, he, he jukes a defender at the line of scrimmage, hops to the right and gets underneath Jalen Phillips and then um, sets up his blocks, lateral cuts, spins through another tackle um, and ends up picking up, I think, 10 yards on that play. Um, you know, a guy who has the vision to, to see the cutback lanes, puts his foot in the ground and then is able to, to get outside. And then what's crazy too is, is the head, head fake and the lateral cut on, on defensive backs who ultimately end up over pursuing on the outside. Um, you know, that's a guy to me um, just understands the flow of a defense, feels the flow coming backside, you know, the, that backside opening up, puts his foot in the ground and gets there. There's no hesitation, very decisive runner. Um, that's one of the things that I really like about him. Some quick feet, um, you know, in the, in the hole and uh, really a lot of quick feet in the backfield as well to make guys miss, um, you know, rather than go down to, to that initial contact. He's getting out of the backfield. I think he's a guy who can end up going in round two, but depending on what happens in free agency, um, you know, there's a good chance that Michael Carter could fall to round three. If that's the case, I'm looking at the Jets. I think even if the Jets end up getting a, a running back in round number, uh, I'm sorry, in free agency, I think round three, makes sense for me for the Jets to go ahead and, and get a running back because I, I think in round one depending on what happens with, with Zach Wilson and, and Sam Darnold, if Sam Darnold stays then things get a little bit trickier um, with, with what the Jets are going to do but if Sam Darnold is traded like everyone is expecting to have happen you know, and look, the Jets could still even keep Sam Darnold and bring in a quarterback and, and really have that competition play out and then ultimately trade 
uh, you know, one of the two, uh, which would be a little bit more awkward, but, you know, I wouldn't put anything by the Jets these days. Uh, although I feel much more confident that they're in good hands with jo- uh, Joe Douglas and, and Robert Sala. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. But, you know, right now, if Zach Wilson is the number two overall pick, then you can get a receiver or edge rusher um, at, at 23. Whoever you don't pick up there at 23, you end up getting at the top of round two. Round three, get your running back. Number five for me is a guy that I think a lot of people looked at and they said, you know what, this guy's going to be a a short yardage guy or he's not going to be anything more than than an H-back. Come on. Ramondre Stevenson, he's 6'246". I think Spencer Tillman said it best on one of the broadcasts. He's got big man size with little man feet. And what that means is this dude's got twinkle toes for, for a guy his size. I mean, the, the, the agility uh, that, that you see out of him is, is just absolutely unreal. Uh, making guys miss in the open field, making guys miss in the hole. And, uh, you know, what you saw with him and what I thought was so so special, it's the same thing that, you know, Ronnie Perkins did for the defensive side of the ball for the Sooners. They struggled. OU struggled running the football. You know, they had new guys that were coming in. You know, they, they lost Kennedy Brooks, uh, who decided to opt out. Trey Sermon transfers to Ohio State. Uh, you know, and then obviously Ramondre Stevenson is suspended prior to the Peach Bowl due to a, a marijuana positive test. And so he sits out the first five games. They struggle getting any running game going. And then when he comes back, you know, he plays in his six games over 600 yards on the ground, 6.6 yards per carry. And this is with, you know, that high-powered offense. But then you just, you saw him add that dynamic and suddenly Spencer Rattler seemed to settle down and he had a much better second half of the season. And really, I mean, they torched Florida. Yes, you know, Kyle Trask was without his receivers and so they struggled to move the ball. Um, But man, you know, Ramondre Stevenson to me, obviously he's physical, um, down the field, likes to lower that pad level, stiff arms to, to violently throw linebackers aside, um, you know, very powerfully, powerfully built. And then he has some pretty soft hands as a receiver out of the backfield, kind of surprising there. Um, in that Big 12 championship game against Iowa State, had a big block uh, on Mike Rose, that blitzing linebacker. Mike Rose, a name to remember for next year's draft. Uh, really a nice linebacker there. Uh, but you know, picks up that blitz. Uh, and so obviously a guy that can hold up and pass protection. You saw him there at the senior bowl, catching the ball out of the backfield, also stepping up in pass protection. So I, I think he's fine there. Um, but look, you put on the game film, you're going to see vision, see the cutback lanes, and then the feet to allow him to get there in a hurry. And then once he gets north and south, he's so tough to bring down. I'm a big Ravondre Stevenson fan. I honestly think that he's going to end up coming off the board round four. I've got him going to the Niners. Niners really need to figure out what they're doing at the running back position. they got a lot of guys, Tevin Coleman, Jarek McKinnon. You know, what, what are you really going to have? Bring in Ramondre Stevenson. Let him go to work. After that, how about Trey Sermon out of Ohio State? Another guy who I think is going to come off the board day three, round number four, um, six foot, 215. And look, you know, at OU, he, he rushed for over 2,000 yards. Uh, you know, 22 touchdowns, including 13 as a sophomore, but he was split in time with a lot of backs there. Um, and ultimately he wanted to be the guy. He goes to Ohio State 
And, you know, he didn't really get to be the guy there at Ohio State because Master Teague was the guy in front of him. I think he was kind of uh, struggling to find his way a little bit. How is he going to fit into the offense? And then Master Teague goes down to injury, and uh, Trey Sermon blows up. And really, I, I think that was the first time that everyone really got to say, okay, this is truly what Trey Sermon can do. Against Northwestern in that Big, Tw- uh, Big Ten championship, 29 carries, 331 yards, two touchdowns, 11.4 yards per carry. And before that, you know, that game before that against Michigan State, 10 carries, 112 yards, which is 11.2 yards per carry, scores a touchdown in that game. And then against Clemson, 31 carries, 193 yards, 6.2 yards per carry there, and a touchdown, also have four receptions for 61 yards. In that national title game against Bama, you just wonder what Ohio State could have done from a ball control perspective had he not gotten injured, you know, had that one carry goes out for the remainder of the game and, uh, you know, Ohio State really couldn't recover it really more one dimensional than anything else. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a shame. You know, this is a guy who has a ton of power. Um, nice vision to see those cutback lanes. He likes to get downhill in a hurry, um, has a nice lateral cut ability against that, you know, Michigan State Spartan defense. Um, had this lateral cut to avoid Xavier Henderson, the safety, um, allowed him to keep going for an additional 20 yards. Uh, so he makes a lot of those plays down down the field. Um, and he's somebody, you know, like I said, you know, he'll another guy with good feel when, when you know the backside starting to open up. He's able to put his foot in the ground and make, get to those holes. Um, 28 receptions, not you know, really used. Um, I'm sorry, 48 receptions in his career, 12 at, at Ohio State and 36 at Oklahoma. Um, wasn't really asked to catch the football a ton for, for Ohio State. That really wasn't what um, what they needed him for. Um, he has decent hands, so he's another guy to, to really kind of keep an eye out. Um, I think ultimately round four for me, I think he could end up going to, to the Washington football team. You know, to me, you know, you've got Antonio Gibson, you've got J.D. McKissick. They need a power back, and I could see him being that guy. How about Javian Hawkins out of Louisville, huh? 5'9", 196 pounds, redshirt sophomore, and uh, really had a breakout 2019. Uh, you know, over 1,500 yards on the ground, nine touchdowns, and that, you know, uh, you know, as a, a sophomore in 2020, through eight games, 822 yards on the ground, that's 6.2 yards per carry, and seven touchdowns, ends up sitting out the remainder of the season. But this is a dude, you know, he plays much bigger than his size. Uh, the contact balance, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, another pinball just bouncing off of tackles, um, runs through arm tackles left and right, a guy who has a nice spin move. Um, but there was a play against against Florida State where uh, you know, the plays run to the right and then he has a spin move to reverse field, uh, get out the backside to the left and then shows that speed down the sideline for a 70-yard touchdown. Um, he's not afraid to drop his pads to finish his runs. Um, to me, he's, he's a lot of fun to watch. You know, he, that, that speed, um, that, that anticipa- anticipation with those holes, um, and then I, I wrote, you know, my note against Miami uh, where he, he rushed for 164 yards and a touchdown in that game. But spin, juke, accelerate. And that was something that you saw in, well, two more words, explosive and then tremendous balance. So 
this is a guy that really understands, you know, I think who he is as a running back. Uh, wasn't really asked to catch the football much out of the backfield. Just 21 receptions in his in his uh, two years there uh, with, with uh, the Cardinals, including 16 this past season. Um, but he's a guy to me, I, I see him coming off the board in round three. I actually have him going to the Falcons. Um, he's a nice back. You know, he's just, he's a little young. And I, I think the same goes for, for a guy like Kenneth Gamewell. I, I have him coming off the board in round three as well. Um, here's the concern that I have. Look, he's 5'11", 195 pounds, redshirt sophomore. After his redshirt freshman season in 2019 where, I mean, he set the world on fire, he sits out in 2020 and decides he's going to declare for the draft. So we've only seen him play one year, much like Gregory Rousseau. What are we getting out of him? Is he a Daryl Henderson type of guy, you know, who really just needs the crease and is gone, but, uh, you know, struggles to create on his own a little bit? You know, is he just a speed guy? Um, is he more of an Antonio Gibson, a guy who's, you know, who's going to work hard, um, you know, running back and receiver? Um, you know, look, Gainwell, in that redshirt freshman season, he was impressive. Uh, 1,459 yards, 13 touchdowns, also had 51 receptions, averaged 12 yards per reception for, for the Tigers. Um, look, all he needed was a crease, and, and he would hit it. You know, I have feet written all over my you know, my notes, dancing, you know, to the hole. Uh, look, you have five 60-yard uh, runs, most in, in FBS, uh, 21 carries of 20-plus yards, which was the third in the FBS in, in 2019. Um, you know, a guy, um, great run after the catch as a receiver and showing tremendous speed. You know, that's something that I, I'm really anxious to see exactly what, what the speed is. You know, this is a guy who I think, um, you know, really comfortable in round number three. Again, I just, I'm a little nervous whenever, you know, you've got a guy who only one year under his belt, but look, you know, he only has, uh, 235 total carries. Uh, you know, so there's not a ton of wear on those legs. Um, you just wonder, you know, is he going to be able to duplicate that type of effort um, that he put out there for the Tigers? And look, you know, those running backs, you know, Daryl Daryl Henderson, he's not too far removed from Daryl Henderson and his, uh, I believe, it, what was it, like 17 or 1900 yards on the ground, um, something insane like that. So, is it is he a product of this of the system, or is he going to be a guy that's really going to be able to? Um, showcases talent there at the next level. That's going to be a huge question mark for me. Khalil Gilbert, or I'm sorry, Khalil Herbert. He's a guy who's who's an interesting running back um, because he was kind of the forgotten guy there at Kansas. You know, everyone talked about Puka Williams being the explosive back. Khalil Herbert, in four years there at, at KU, um, rushes for 1,735 yards. You know, he did score 24, uh, um, I'm sorry, 14 touchdowns in his four seasons there with, with uh, the Jayhawks, comes to Virginia Tech, gets to be the guy, showcases the speed and some power and, and cutback ability, rushes for, you know, 1,183 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, eight touchdowns, and, you know, really showcased, you know, a guy who, you know, is a, is a hard, hard runner, um, runs with purpose, um, tough yards between the tackles, lowers that pad level to fight for extra yards, but also has that speed to get the ball to the outside, the vision and cutback ability as well. And then he has a nasty stiff arm there on the outside um, to, to turn the corner. Um, and then shows some pretty good acceleration once he gets down the sideline. Um, patient runner, he's 5'9", 205, powerfully built, 
Um, he's a guy to me. I have him going to Carolina uh, in round four. Let him spell uh, Christian McCaffrey. I think that'd be a nice pickup there. Um, next running back on my list is Kylan Hill. Um, so if you're scoring at home, um, we, we've gone through Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Ramondre Stevenson, Trey Sermon, Javian Hawkins, Kenneth Gainwell, so and Khalil Herbert. So Kylan Hill, that's running back number 10. And he's a guy that I think is underrated. I think people are forgetting about him. 5'11", 215 out of Mississippi State. And look, this was a guy who was the only SEC player in 2019 to rush for over 1,300 yards and have 10-plus touchdowns. You know, and, and so I, I think that's something that's meaningful. Eight 100-yard rush games in 2019 in Joe Moorhead's offense. And then in 2020, look, this is a guy who was able to adjust his style of play. Playing for Mike Leach in that air raid offense through just three games with the Bulldogs, 23 receptions. You know, think about that. I mean, this is a guy, you know, prior to that, um, you know, in, let's see, in, in his first three seasons there in, at Starkville, he had 44 receptions, and now through just three games, 23 catches. And so Kylan Hill, to me, showcased that he can be a three-down back. And I think the other thing, too, is, is he's really good in pass protection. You see him coming across the formation. Another guy that, that understands um, you know, blitz pickup and you know can protect that quarterback. He's 5'11", 215, runs with power, um, you know, has some... Uh, some speed as well, you know, has that that vision to bounce the ball outside and, and take off down the sideline. I, I'm a big fan of Kylan Hill. He's a guy to watch out for in the middle rounds, fourth, fifth round range, um, but a guy who I think can end up being a bell cow, much like he proved there for Mississippi State. After that, there are some you know some interesting backs. You know, uh, obviously, you know, a guy like J- Jarrett Patterson out of Buffalo. He's 5'9", 195 pounds. You know, when a guy rushes for nearly 3,900 yards in three seasons, including 1,799 in 2019, uh, has 52 touchdowns uh, to his name. Through six games in 2020, he's rushed for you know over 1,000 yards and 19 touchdowns. Back-to-back seasons with 19 yards and his second season with the, ni- with the 19 touchdowns was just in six games. You know, and yet we're not talking about him at the top of the draft. It's it's kind of crazy when you think about it from a production standpoint, what this guy was able to do. You know, you don't see him being the speed burner, um, you know, a guy that's going to necessarily, you know, run by you. He's not the biggest back, so he's not necessarily going to run over you. Um, but still, he managed to put up 409 yards and eight touchdowns against Kent State. Yes, I know it's the golden flashes, but still, when you're talking about 409 yards and eight touchdowns, one game removed from putting up 301 yards and four touchdowns against Bowling Green. You, know, you want to talk about production. You want to talk about a guy who was consistently great for Buffalo. That was Jarrett Patterson. You, know, you always wanted to put on the film and see what number 26 was going to do. Yes, he shared the backfield with, with Kevin Marks. And Kevin Marks at times looked to be the more explosive back. Um, but this dude, come on. You know, he didn't really catch the football out of the backfield, and I think that's what's going to hurt his draft stock more than anything else. But when I think of, uh, of you know, Jared Patterson, I think of the footwork. I think of his ability, the jump cuts. Jump cut after jump cut. He'll put he'll put a couple of jump cuts together uh, to get to the outside, uh, make guys miss in the open field, uh, really extending his plays, um, really good, nice, quick feet. 
for the guy, he's very patient. He'll wait for that hole to develop, put his foot in the ground, get there in a hurry. Uh, a lot of his cuts, he's not wasting any movement. Um, no real you know, loss of momentum either. Um, you know, there's even some basketball jump cuts. Made a guy miss in, in the Ball State MAC Championship game. They called it out, out on the broadcast. You know, it was really it looked like a basketball uh, basketball move to ultimately pivot and jump cut. Um, fastest guy in school history to 3,000 yards. You know, a guy who's going to be a thumper of sorts coming downhill a little bit. Can shake you, make you miss in the hole with those lateral cuts and, and the nice footwork. Um, you know, I just. I don't know what his fit is at the next level. You know, I don't think he's going to be the bell cow. Um, you know, he, he shared uh, the backfield with Kevin Marks, like I said, with 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 the Buffalo Bulls. Still ended up carrying the ball 636 times in his three years. So, you know, a lot of wear on those legs in just three seasons. But still, a guy I think is going to be a middle round guy. Um, he'll share the backfield with someone, but I think he's a guy still to keep an eye out for as one of those backs that could surprise. Chuba Hubbard, one of the more polarizing of our running backs, six foot, 208 pounds, and the junior. If you talk to Oklahoma State fans, like I did with Brett Peters in my last podcast, Oklahoma State fans love this guy. You know, Brett said, you know, he should be a first or second round pick. I mean, yeah, he was battled injuries in 2020, but look at what he did in 2019. I mean, over 2,000 yards on the ground, 21 touchdowns, also had 23 receptions on the year as well. Uh, a guy, all you need is a crease, and he's going to you know, take off down the field. You know, very explosive uh, running back. Um, so why is nobody talking about it? It's like he fell off, and suddenly nobody's really, you know, wanting to, to talk up Chuba Hubbard. Um it's one of those things that's really weird you know, when you look at Oklahoma State. Before him, it was Justice Hill. Justice Hill then didn't get his ton of play, you know, playing time uh, when Chuba Hubbard was coming up. And then Chuba Hubbard is there, but then L.D. Brown, Desmond Jackson. didn't matter who Mike Gundy had there at the running back position. They were running the ball well behind that offensive line. There's a reason why Tevin Jenkins is going to be a first-round pick. Um, you know, he was blocking for these running backs. And look, I think Desmond Jenkins ran for 300 yards on, you know, in, in one of the games this past season so it didn't really matter who was that running back so you wonder you know that makes you wonder just a little bit you know you watched him against Iowa State this is a guy who had Jake Hummel um, who's a decent linebacker more of a guy that's going to play downhill uh, but he still wasn't able to shake him and make him miss on the outside makes you worry a little bit when you get him into space I think that's where he's at his best but if you've got him either between the tackles in tight quarters trying to get to the corner and, and to the edge he struggles to, to make guys miss, really struggles to create. And that's one of the things when that offensive line wasn't in their groove to start out the season, he struggled. You watched him against Zayvon uh, Collins, struggled to block uh, Zayvon Collins on a quarterback rollout. And, and Collins shed that block, got to the sideline, able to drop the running back for a sack. You know, Zayvon Collins is a reason why. I mean, I fell in love with the guy watching him in this game. I had already, he was already on my radar and I really liked him, um, you know, playing, you know, last season. But this past season, man, you know, we watched him, how he was able to handle Chuba Hubbard. Um, and again, I, I think Zayvon Collins is a, is a first round pick in my book. Um, so that's not, you know, a, you know, a slight at all on, on Chuba's part. But, you know, look. Took a screen, dropped in the open field for loss, couldn't make Zayvon Collins miss. You know, so that's really one of the things that you worry about. Yes, he's a guy, all you need is a crease. He's going to be able to take that football and take off with it. You know, there was a play against Iowa State where he was kind of bottled up and then ultimately reverses field, able to accelerate, run by guys for a 30-yard touchdown. 
and you know that explosiveness is absolutely there but you worry if he's just more of a guy that's you, know, you give him a crease let him go but not really a guy that's going to run for a ton of power you know, I think if you tackle him high especially if he's got that that momentum going it's, he's going to be a guy that's going to be difficult to bring down but he's a guy that he just he needs some of that space to allow him to go and so that's why I think it's going to hurt him I think he's going to fall to the middle round because of that Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State is an interesting guy. He's 5'10", 208 pounds. Um, you know, as a, a freshman coming in there for the Beavers, over 1,300 yards on the ground, 25 receptions, 12 total touchdowns. Um, then he only plays in you know 15 games. He had nine games there as a as a uh, as a sophomore. Junior plays in six games. Didn't get to play in one of the games due to an injury. Um, you know, and a guy that I think people weren't really expecting him to have the type of explosiveness that he showcased in that Oregon game. You know, he wasn't running away from guys, but then you watch him, you know, the 82 yard touchdown on their opening possession, uh, takes the ball off tackle, um, cuts it up to the outside through traffic, ends up coming out the other side. And then he runs away from the ducks defense on an eight man front, um, you know, showed, uh, you know, really a, a good job pressing the line of scrimmage, showing off some lateral cuts, decisive, quick acceleration, and then show some top-end speed to split the, the defensive backs down the field. Um, that, that explosiveness, not something that I think people were expecting out of him. Um, you know, the production, he didn't really match the production that he's had uh, since that, that, that freshman season. Um, you know, only caught 18 passes in his final two years there in Corvallis. Um, but a guy who I think, you know, if he can showcase some of that speed, let's see what he runs in that 40. Uh, does have very quick feet. Um more of a not a guy that's going to lower the pads and really run you over although he did run through a cave on Thibodeau tackle um, able to get down the field um, some jump cuts as well in that game um, so one game is going to make or break uh, somebody's draft stock necessarily but definitely open some eyes and uh, a guy who I think can end up being a mid to late pick you know keep an eye on, on Jamar Jefferson though that acceleration, something that uh, teams can use as a change of pace. Uh, Elijah Mitchell out of Louisiana. He's 5'11", 215 pounds. Uh, a veteran running back there for Louisiana. He and Trey Regis, kind of a thunder and lightning of sorts. Elijah Mitchell, look, over 3,200 yards on the ground, including 1,147 in 2019 as a junior. Caught 49 passes out of the backfield. Um, he was kind of the versatile running back. Knows for the end zone, 41 touchdowns in his career. Um, and I mentioned Trey Regis. This is a guy who's more of a one-cut-and-go type of a back. He's 5'10", 230. Um, he was the guy who had the breakout 2018 season as a sophomore, 1,181 yards, had 25 receptions in that game. After that, kind of fell off a little bit in terms of the, the receptions. Only 15 receptions in his final two years. Just uh, 1,580 yards on the ground, but did score 21 touchdowns. More of a short yardage guy there. Um, you know, And so I, I think he's a little limited. I think he's going to get drafted late. I think he will get drafted, but he'll be drafted late. I think Elijah Mitchell is probably going to be more of a mid-round back at this point. Um, other guys to consider... Dimitri Felton out of UCLA, 5'9", 186. He's a receiver, converted to running back. Uh, worked out quite a bit as a receiver at the Senior Bowl. I think 
you know, he, he's he showed up, you know, really well this past, you know, the past couple of seasons there with the Bruins when he moved to the running back position. A guy who I think did a little bit too much, would try to reverse field, would try to dance a little bit too much. When he decided to just go and be decisive, he was a much better running back there for the Bruins. But I, I think he was thinking too much as a running back. And so, you know, it may be one of those situations. Is he going to be a J.D. McKissick or a, an Antonio Gibson uh, type of uh, running back? Uh, 5'10", 200 pounds, you know, is really kind of what he's measured in at. Um, you know, had 99 receptions in his career. I, I think the Patriots might be a team, or Seattle, you know, might be a, a team that'll take a look at Demetric Felton uh, in those those mid to late rounds. Um, Deion Jackson out of Duke, six foot, 220 pounds, really more of a power back, a guy that's just going to run through tackles. Physical dude will run you over. 61 receptions in his career as well. Um, so he'll be a guy to watch out for in, in the later rounds. Um, I, I think a guy that's a little overrated is Chris Evans out of Michigan. Um, you know, battled some injuries, um, sat out the entire 2019 season, but even before that, you know, played in 10 games in 2018. Uh, comes back, plays in eight games there uh, this past year. Uh, just 16 carries for 73 yards. You know, he's a, he's a big back. He can be physical, um, but I just don't see him. Uh, his game translating right now. Um, you know, I just, I, I think the medical red flags are going to be there. He may end up being an undrafted free agent when it's all said and done. Um, one of my sleepers to watch out for is Spencer Brown. And I'll tell you why. Spencer Brown is a guy, you know, I, I think of what Kareem Hunt, what happened to him there at, uh, at Toledo. He lost some weight when he came to the, the senior bowl and he looked a lot more explosive. You know, this is a guy who suddenly the, the lateral agility looked a lot quicker, a lot faster. And that's what happened with Spencer Brown. Spencer Brown was playing at about 230 uh, plus pounds. Uh, now he's six foot 220 and uh, looked a lot more explosive. You know, not much of a factor in the passing game, which is going to hurt. But uh, look, over 4,000 yards there for the Blazers, including back-to-back uh, seasons with at least 1,200 yards in his first two years there at UAB. Uh, really a guy that uh, the program, they were able to build around him. And uh, you know, Bill Clark bringing that program back, you know, heart and soul of that, that, that team. He's a guy to me that I think could be a sleeper. Uh, somebody who you know will you know could surprise there at the next level. I think that weight loss is going to make him be a lot more effective. He's not going to be a Kareem Hunt type of player, I don't think. But he's a guy that I think could you know team people are overlooking that they should. Uh, Brendan Knox, I was a huge fan of there at Marshall. He's six foot, two hundred twenty-three pounds, big physical dude. Run runs behind his pads. Um, you know he runs through contact. Again, a big physical guy, but not much of a factor in the passing game. And, and after that that. You know, he was the Mac. I'm sorry, the Conference USA Player of the Year in 2019, with over 1,300 yards on the ground. Comes back this year, and you know, for his standards, a pedestrian, 887 yards and nine touchdowns. Yes, that was through nine games, but uh, you know, he's a guy. Look, you know, just around five yards a carry um, in his career there for the Thundering Herd. A guy that can get to the outside. Not going to be a speed merchant by any means. I think he'll end up being a late round guy, 
Um, you know, big physical dude, but he's going to have to show that he can catch the football out of the backfield um, if he's really going to stick at the next level. Um, a guy who can do that is Rakeem Boyd out of Arkansas. He's six foot two oh six. A guy who's you know as a running back is patient, lets his, sets his blocks up, can get skinny through the hole and, and shoot down the field. Um, you know, but I, I think you know I like him as a receiver as well. Um, let's see if I can find his numbers as I scroll through my, my stats here. I just had him up. So. Really a big year as a junior, over 1,100 yards on the ground, but 52 receptions, um, soft hands, natural pass catcher. Um, he can end up being a late round back. But I'll give you a name of a guy that you really, you know, two guys really, who could end up potentially being that James Robinson. And I think back to when Alfred Morris came out of Florida Atlantic, seventh round pick, not many people were expecting much out of him, ends up rushing for over 1,000 yards. Um, so teams are looking for who's going to be that next guy, uh, especially coming out of some of those smaller schools. I'll give you one out of Ball State, Caleb Huntley. He's 5'10", 229 pounds, powerfully built, much like James Robinson. Um, and, and look, has two years where uh, he rushed for over, over 1,000 yards when he stayed healthy. Battled injuries as a sophomore and as a senior. Only played in three games this past year. Um, had, a, had a rib injury that he was dealing with. Um, but he's a guy that, that runs hard, physical between the tackles, a guy who I, I think his, his running style actually reminds me a lot of James Robinson. You know, runs out of tackles up the middle, um, has a nice jump cut, pretty quick feet. Um, also did a really good job as a blocker down the field, even for his receivers. So very, uh, very unselfish in that way. Um, this is a guy who you know looks to make guys miss in the backfield, then get north and south in a hurry. Runs away from the defense a little bit as well. Um, I think he can be a very explosive back if need be. Um, and I'm looking at him, you know, as potentially being that that James Robinson at this year's draft. One other guy to keep an eye on is going to be C.J. Marable out of uh, Coastal Carolina. They ran that um, that spread option offense there with, with the Chanticleers. You know, a guy, you know, over 2,600 yards in his career there at Coastal Carolina after, tra- after he transferred uh, following the 2016 season from Arkansas State. Um, 84 receptions in three seasons there as well. Um, you know, in back-to-back seasons with at least 30 catches. Um, you know, he's a guy that I think could be very versatile for a team could be one of those pass catching options a guy who's not probably not going to be your number one back but a guy you know who can come in be a uh, you know a change of pace type of a guy be a chase Edmonds type a guy that you know could be a spot starter when needed I, I think he's a guy to really keep an eye on there for um, you know the later rounds you know other backs to just be you know be mindful of Stevie Scott a big powerful back there out of Indiana 6'2", 231 would have liked to have seen him come back, especially after uh, a season where he just averaged 3.6 yards per carry. Uh, but he can catch the football out of the backfield, evidenced by the 55 receptions uh, for the Hoosiers. Uh, 30 touchdowns, you know, three straight seasons with 10 touchdowns uh, as a back. Um, but you know, after that freshman season where he rushed for over 1,100 yards, really struggled to you know duplicate that type of production, and so. To me, he may not get drafted because of that, but there might be a team that will bring him onto a practice squad, uh, be a guy that could be one of those physical backs. Um, I think the same goes for a guy like Jared Dokes, six foot two thirty. Another guy uh, battled some injuries there with uh, with the Bearcats. Um, 
throughout his career. Um, when he's healthy, he's big, he's physical, but those medicals have to check out. And one final guy to, well, out of the SEC to talk about, and then we'll talk about Puka Williams here. But uh, A.J. Rose out of Kentucky, six foot 214. Um, and this is a guy, look, you know, this past season, 6.3 yards per, per carry. Um, you know, a guy who's, who's big and physical, and I thought he got better as the season went along. There for the Wildcats, ran behind a really nice line as well. He's somebody to potentially uh, keep an eye on as a sleeper in, in the later rounds. And then there's Puka Williams. Look, he's 5'10", 170, the junior, explosive back, back-to-back, 1,000-yard seasons there for Kansas. Big reason why, like I said, uh, Khalil Herbert ended up transferring as a grad transfer. And, you know, had uh, 58 catch, I'm sorry, 60 catches out of the backfield in his first two seasons. Only played him four games in 2020. And, uh, you know, he's just, he's so slight. You know, you wonder about him in the backfield. Is he a Naeem Hines type of a guy? Potentially be one of those receivers out of the backfield. He'll be a, a guy that I think mid to late rounds, teams might end up, you know, looking to, to snatch up. Um, I think that production, uh, there's no question about that. But a guy who co- goes down easily to contact, you got to get him out into space to really allow him to make plays. But a guy who I think because of that explosiveness, he's a guy that teams could potentially give a chance to. So those are the running backs that I, I think really we should be keeping an eye on here as we move about the uh, the whole pre-draft process. Um I'm looking forward to seeing what this running back class has to do. I think a lot of that value, like I said, um, outside, you know, you're looking at a couple, you know, obviously Najee Harris at the top. You've got three or four backs there in on the second day of the draft that uh, are going to be nice guys that could potentially be um, starters at the next level. And then really most of that value is going to be in that fourth to sixth round range um, running backs that um, look, you know, I mentioned James Robinson. He, he was an undrafted free agent coming out of Illinois State, and you saw the the type of production that he was able to bring there for the Jaguars. And so um, you can't always you know, put a premium on the running back position early on in the draft. You're really looking for some of those special guys, you know, a Saquon Barkley type, you know, that you can end up drafting early. But you can still wait and get guys later on. I mean, look, you know, Jonathan Taylor looking like a steal there for Indy in round number two. Who's going to be that guy? Who's going to be the Cam Akers, a guy that really redeemed himself, had a a slow-moving junior season, came back as a senior there for Florida State, really helped his draft stock, moving to round number two, and looks like a steal there for the Rams. Who's going to be that guy that we're going to be talking about as the steal of the draft? I think we've talked about a few of them. We'll see exactly what happens. And as we work through uh, the pro days for the combine, really get a better feel for what these guys are running, who are going to be your speed backs, who are going to be the power guys, you know, what are guys repping out at 225, see who your your strength uh, and your strong guys are going to be. Um, you know, I think we, we've got a lot of guys who, you know, the, those powerful lower bodies, the contact balance, um, you absolutely see that. And then, you know, quite a few guys uh, with decent hands coming out of the backfield. The difference is going to be that pass protection. You know, I, I talked about Najee Harris. I think Kylan, Kylan Hill really jumps out to me as another guy that's really good as a pass blocker. Um, you know, unselfish play as well with with Javante Williams blocked from Michael Carter and vice versa. Um, so 
those are things you know, that teams are going to be looking for as well um, you know, as they, they consider who they're going to be drafting there at the running back position. So we're going to go ahead and call it a wrap. Be on the lookout for another podcast, episode 24. We'll be taking a look at things from a fan's perspective, talking to Steve Jackson, a Tampa Bay Buccaneer super fan. We're going to be taking a look at the Tampa Bay draft. Now that they've solidified Chris Godwin as a uh, with the franchise tag, they've re-signed Levante David. Uh, looks like Shaq Barrett's going to be there as well. What are they targeting in round number one? Is it going to be uh, an edge rusher to pair with Shaq Barrett and uh, and JPP? Are you going to look up front? You know, potentially, you know, is, is, you know, Donovan Smith, Ryan Jensen, are they going to be uh, cap casualties? I think Jensen there in round two, you could potentially see uh, Quinn Miners as a potential guy coming off the board there. Yes, I said it, another D3 guy going to Tampa. Uh, you know, just a few years removed from Ali Marpet showing up there in Tampa as a 61st overall pick. Uh, so it could potentially happen. Look, I think Miners may end up coming off the board, you know, to the Steelers. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see exactly what happens there. Uh, a lot of people think Jamin Davis is going to Tampa, but now that Levante David is there, I don't see that happening. Um, you know, honestly, just kind of as a sneak peek, we'll have to see what Steve Jackson thinks. But I've got him going Boogie Basham there at the end of round number one. Boogie Basham, a physical freak. Um, you know, just the, the tremendous athleticism. Bench presses over 400 pounds, squats over 700, 36-inch vertical leap. 19 sacks, 35 and a half tackles for loss, much more explosive um, than than a guy like AJ Epinesa in last year's draft. He's 6'4, 285, physical at the point of attack. If Indomitian Sue leaves in free agency and there's a good chance that he will, Carlos Basham can come in and take over that defensive end position, takes care of one of those neat areas. So we'll talk to Steve a little bit more, get his thoughts on not only what they're going to do in the first round of the draft, but also what's going to happen throughout day two and day three, as well as what they're going to be targeting in free agency. I think it'll be a fun conversation. And then next week, we'll be talking about the receiver position. Obviously, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, they deserve all of that talk and consideration. Who's in that second tier? You're talking about Rashad Bateman. You're talking about Rondell Moore, uh, Elijah Moore, Kadarius Toney, Amon Ross St. Brown, potentially, Seth Williams. You know Who are going to be those receivers everyone's talking about? Who's going to be the steals on day three? Will it be Jalen Darden? I think that's a potential as well. So a lot to cover as we ramp up and get ready for the draft. So these podcasts, like I said, are going to be coming fast and furious. Every few days, I'll be releasing another podcast getting you ready for that NFL draft, April 29th. It's around the corner. It'll be here before you know it. I'm excited. I'm amped up. Let's go. So I'll let you go for now. For readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. And until next time, I am out of here. Take care, everyone. <laughs>